Hello and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. We're now in season three of the 100 Mass Men series where I anonymously interview different men from all walks of life about self-identity, what success means in society, and how that affects our self-worth. Masked man number 65 is the token entrepreneur. He's basically retired at 25 years old, moving out of his parents' house and about to start a new chapter into the unknown. And the episode is an introspective reflection of the concept of entrepreneurship and how it has been a trending topic lately as the ultimate form of success. I really enjoy talking to someone else who is in a similar position to where I am today, where I guess we're both just learning how to live. Let's get into it. I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, I was born in BC, British Columbia, west coast of Canada, if any of you know where that is. Um, I'm an only child, so yeah, I, I think I've always wished for a brother or sister, but spent most of my time following my parents around with my Game Boy or books <laughs> or something. Yeah, my, my parents Israel and France and Japan, so I've been really lucky to travel with them, but a lot of it was like me being the only kid watching like their practices or in the lobby. I've lived in the same house my whole life. So I'm almost 25. So I'm actually just moving out of the basement soon to my own place. But that was, uh, yeah, an interesting, yeah, I've just never moved. Kind of like had that consistency throughout my whole life, which is, which is a good thing. So do you have like um, a core group of friends since you've been living in the same place basically your whole life or like neighbors that you've known forever? Yeah, interestingly, and again, unfortunately, like I went to school like 20 or five minutes away. I went to a private school 25 minutes away from my house. So a lot of the neighbor kids went to the the local elementary school, which was right across the street, which I was always like, "Ah, I just wish I could sleep in and go to school like all the normal kids. So I, I didn't really have many friends around the neighborhood. Like I had one down the street who I've sort of kept in touch with, not really, but most of the kids were younger. So that's uh, how I made all my money, got all the babysitting money in the neighborhood. <laughs> and then, yeah, all my friends are spread out throughout the city because this private school is kind of in the middle of the city. And so everyone just kind of, kind of comes from everywhere. And uh, yeah, so it, yeah, not not many friends in the neighborhood, neighborhood either. Did a lot of, I was like, again, the school is kind of like hardcore. So it was a lot of homework and a lot of like organized sports. I think that was one thing Growing up as an only child, my parents like really focused on putting me into stuff and like getting me social because or else I'd just be at home studying. <laughs> Did your parents really value education for you? Because for me, they kind of, they took me to like extra school. So I always won like all of the academic awards in school because I already learned these courses beforehand. Like they kind of took me a grade up on Saturday school. Yeah. yeah. So I studied English grammar and math and I went to Chinese school. I took like piano classes and like ballet classes and any kind of additional class beyond the classes that were available in the schools. <laughs> Did you do any of that? Or like, what was that structure like? And was yeah. it like mainly from your parents? Yeah, my, my parents are definitely hardcore in education. So my dad's a lawyer, my mom and Jewish, and my mom is Chinese uh, from Hong Kong. They're both like, you got to go from, a, I swear from like grade three, they're like, think about what you want to do in university. And like, you got to like get ready for, you know, college. So that was always the path. We can talk about that later of how I did not take that. But yeah, education was really hardcore. Like in my school, we'd grade out of seven. Five was like good. Five was like, if you got fives in all your courses, like you're, you're getting into a good school, probably on a scholarship. If I got a five, it'd be like, what are you doing wrong here? Like, why mm. are you getting a seven? So that was definitely hard too. There's a lot of fights over report cards and a lot of crying. 
yeah, a lot of ex- ex- extrinsic motivation. Like if I got a sevens, like we're getting lobster tonight. And if we're getting a five, it's like, there's a fight tonight. So, mm. so I was kind of nervous bringing the report card home, but no, no extra studying. Um, luckily enough, it was just a lot of like parents hovering over my homework. Like, Hey, do you check your work here? Like, Oh, are you sure that's right? Like, So there's, there's a lot of that pressure for sure. Wow. So your dad was a lawyer. What was your, what was your mom's job? She's like a data analyst. So she'll like, yeah, use a lot of spreadsheets in Excel. And like, uh, she works at the university to like calculate predictions of revenue and predictions of like enrollment and stuff. Wow. Okay. So everyone's very analytical in your household. Very, very analytical. Very. And again, I, who knows? I don't know. Do you have, do you have siblings? I do. I have an older brother and he is like, I mean, I feel like I'm like the black swan in the family. So he grew up, you know, he took math, um, excelled at it. He went to an engineering school. He has been working at the same bank for the last like 20 plus years, the only bank. And he's, he's married. Yeah. He's married his high school sweetheart, like the only girl he's ever been with. So they have two kids now. Yeah. Perfect picture. So yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Good Asian. Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, I mean, yeah. And so as an only child, I think there's a, there's a dynamic that's, I'm pretty sure it's been proven. I mean, it's just usually a high achiever, usually, you know, a lot of pressure put on you good and bad, right? You get all the resources and you get all the attention. Um, but some of that attention can be considered negative (laughs) Mm -hmm. scrutiny. Yeah. So did your parents have an agenda for you? Like what you were going to be, or did they just want you to be super, super smart and educated? Luckily, I, I don't think there was an agenda, which was nice. Honestly, I still remember the day we were like grade 12 and going somewhere in the car with my parents. And they're like, so what do you want to take in university? Because I, I was trying to enroll just because I didn't know what else to do. And I just took business because my mom suggested business. Like I didn't, my, my school is very science focused. So like taking high level chemistry and physics. So I didn't even know the word entrepreneurship. We didn't know what economics was. We just thought like we could be a doctor and engineer after school. And I didn't, I knew I didn't want to be either of those. I wasn't that smart. So when she said business and she said there was like case competitions that were pretty cool where you could like talk to investors or judges of what, what the best strategy is moving forward. So I thought that was pretty cool. So I enrolled, but yeah, my dad was pretty good about saying like, I shouldn't be a lawyer. Like we have a lot of lawyers in the family. We, we take the, the Jewish stereotype really well here. So he knew I didn't, he didn't push the lawyer thing on me. <laughs> okay. So, I'm, I mean, that's nice that, yeah. you know, you kind of let you go and, and figure out your own journey, but did you have any mentors in your family that were in the business side of things, or did you just discover that all through university? Yeah. I, and honestly, so I just, for everyone else, I, I run my own business. I've been running it for the past five years and it's been really fun. I think I'm starting another one. Not, I think I am. Um, <laughs> I've started another one, but yeah, I don't, there's not many entrepreneurs in the family and entrepreneurship again, wasn't in my vocabulary. I didn't know that's a thing. Um, that was definitely a bit of a struggle when I told my parents, like after second year, like I don't like school. I don't like working for other people after the summer job. Like I want to start my own business and based on the idea. And also just the fact that they knew I didn't really have any experience. They're like, I don't know if that's the smartest thing. Like just get the paper already you know like that's that's kind of the the thing to do right and then you can do whatever you want but I kind of yeah black swan did as well as as you said black sheep yeah just get the paper as in what just get the money was that the uh sorry the degree oh the degree so did you drop you dropped out or yeah what yeah okay so how long were you in school and, and what how did that uh, play out for you 
Yeah, I was in business school for two and a half years. I did a summer internship doing like cold calls and cold, you know, marketing, just like every good <laughs> business intern is supposed to do, get that on the resume. And I was like, this is such bullshit. Like, <laughs> how is this possible? I was getting paid a thousand bucks a month and I was working from 830 to four every day. So yeah, when, when the idea came together, I don't know, I, I had this belief that I could achieve like what I have in business and probably out of, uh, like I was too young and dumb to like know the, the realisticness of, of it. But I, I kind of always had the belief and I was, I've read more business books and stuff. The first thing they're always saying is like, you just need this unwavering belief to make the business happen. And I, I guess I kind of knew that intuitively before I read those books even, which was, which is interesting. So yeah, it's been, it's been super fun. And the biggest lesson I've learned is universities kind of, it's good for maybe finance, you know, if you need to become a banker, investor, or do some hardcore science stuff, but I don't think you need it for business, starting your own business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think business is one of the not the most natural things for us to do, you know, it's just trading resources for resources. And somehow there's just like, new concept of what entrepreneurship means. You know, I think it's turned trendy over the last little bit. So over your journey in entrepreneurship for the last five years, how was it like with your friends, with your family? Like, did they support your your journey and did they think you were crazy? Were there ups and downs? Like, how was that whole process for you? You know, definitely, you know, my parents supported it. Um, after the initial talk, I, I feel like I've had like two times in my life really where I've like, mom, dad, we got to sit down. One mm. was when I told them I smoked weed and they're like, we know you stink. Um, <laughs> and, and the second one uh, was, yeah, like I want to, you know, drop out of school and start a business. That was a lot scarier. I mean, based on my background and my upbringing, that was like education's everything. And so when I said that, it was, it was a bit of a back and forth, but nothing too crazy. And of course they've, you know, let me live at home and, and kind of save that way. So I haven't had to, um, the costs were low or, or overhead was low and they've always been helpful, you know, getting me in touch with other lawyers or like, you know, helping me with data analysis. Like my parents kind of like to get involved and they've, they've definitely grown into it as they've seen the success. In terms of my friends, they thought it was all pretty cool too. Like they, they almost like, as you were saying, almost like they pushed it to a different level. They're like, you must be a genius. Like you're, you're starting your own business. And I was like, I don't know if I'm a genius here. Like I'm kind of like putting, I'm talking to some people and they're like, I want this. And I'm like, I give it to them. And it's like, it's, it's not that, it's not that crazy. So a, a big, not a big, a small part of my life, but growing now is like mentoring young adults and like doing high school seminars and stuff, just telling them like, you can do it. It's not that crazy and it's fun. So I think it's been a pretty supportive environment for me, which has been great. Yeah. I think it's funny that you're like, oh, it's not crazy. It's actually, you know, pretty easy and normal. And this is how you look at it. I think there's always this concept of tokenizing entrepreneurs, as in that you've got to have this grit. You have to have this amazing idea. So when you had your business idea that was unwavering, how did you know that that idea wasn't going to go away? Because I think there's a lot of people that want to go into entrepreneurship that are just like, I don't know if this is the the right idea, you know, and, and they don't have that unwavering belief. Yeah, that is a good question. I, I don't really know the answer. I, I knew like just, I mean, from maybe not an intuitive standpoint, like I looked around the market, the, the crazy market, and, <laughs> and I just saw that very similar things were happening, but just not in my niche. 
and nowhere it was happening nowhere else but i knew i kind of had the street cred in this area to to make it work and so again i i think i came from a really privileged position because i lived at home if if everything went to shit i would have lost i invested like three grand max to start you know lose three grand when i'm 20 like everything's gonna be okay you know like my parents are gonna be there i'm gonna have food like so that's a really privileged position to start and some people are like i gotta like start a business to feed my family right away and like that would that's a little scarier. You know, I, I don't know if I'd be like, Oh, it's so easy. Right. Like that, there's a little more pressure there, but uh, yeah, I, I think I just knew this idea would work. And if I failed, nothing bad would happen, which was really lucky. I don't know if that answers your question. Well, yeah, I think rather than, I mean, this is more of a convenience conversation, right? You're saying like you have the privilege and ability to, to run the business, but in terms of that unwavering belief, like, yeah, you did know that you, you found a niche. I mean, everyone can analyze a market and be like, Hey, I want to sell t-shirts. There's a yeah. niche in whatever subject matter I'm going to write. I'm going to make these things. So yeah. what was, what was the extra bit that kind of got you up every morning that was, you know, like, this is just going to happen and have that yeah. confidence. I think it was, I, I think it was just so fun. And like, I think we, we did it the right way. You know, I read the lean startup or whatever, and it was like, just MVP, right? Like minimal viable product, just like get it out there. And so that, that's exactly what we did. We just tried to do one thing and it got you know 40 people in paying a lot and then i was like okay let's do two next time and so again like there's also that privilege of not having to go like 10x like investor like gotta go billions like we were always happy with just like 100 people 200 people and it's it's slowly grown that way which has been really nice and i'm kind of at this place now where have you ever heard of spiral dynamics by chance claire graves what's that okay there's like there's like this whole psychological development model it goes all the way from i don't even know purple or red of like tribal psychology all the way to turquoise of like the spiritual psychology orange psychology is kind of orange levels are around like capitalism business like achievement mm-hmm. and i feel like these past five years i've been kind of like growing into that and i've hit this wall now i'm kind of like I, I feel myself moving into the next phase green greenish yellowish when you're thinking more about uh, the world thinking more about uh, systems and yeah it's a very interesting point in my life because I've worked myself out of a job and in the sense that my team's doing really well the business is doing well and I don't want to keep doubling it I don't feel extra joy from like going to new places with the business which is very weird because the last five years it has been about double grow grow and now I'm finally starting to see the limits of what Mm. that is for me and it's like oh it's not that cool actually to keep doubling like I'm I'm good so I'm a bit of a life uh, a quarter life crisis uh, not crisis quarter life uh curiosity of uh what to do next how did you get to those limits because I think a lot of people that have not reached the limit is still building right so they're like oh I need to double I need to triple I need to quadruple because I have all of these things that I need to achieve in my life whether it's status or money or whatever those metrics are so when did you start realizing the first couple of limits and you're like, hmm, I'm not enjoying these achievements yeah. as much as I used to? Yeah, uh, it all happened pretty recently. The last couple of months, we were planning to franchise our business. And so we had the franchise consultant and we had the franchise lawyers ready to go. And we we're going to sign a $50,000 franchise disclosure document and start selling it. And when we kind of did the math a little more and we talked to the consultant and he's like, all right, so are you ready to sell three franchises a year for the next 10 years? And 
you know, do that slowly. Basically, at the end of those 10 years, you're going to have broken even because every time you had a franchise, you have to add more like systems and coaches and it just, you know, costs more. They call zero to 50 franchisees is an emerging franchise. So like you're just starting out, you know, the biggest franchises have thousands. And I was like, do I want to do that with the rest of my life? No. And so when I thought about that, I was like, okay, well, do I actually, that was, that was um, a big distinction of what I thought I should do versus what I wanted to do. So the should was keep growing. What's the next step? Growth. Like I can't, we can't just keep growing like a a couple hundred in the same city. We got to go global. And then it's like, that was all should. And it wasn't even like any advisor or any, that was no one telling me to do that. That was just my internal kind of thoughts probably come from, you know, media and, and how people tokenize entrepreneurship, as you were saying, like growth, you know, investor, like get more, get more. So that was kind of the starting point of like, huh, like that's not going to make me more excited or happy. Like, I don't really care about that. So that was kind of the start of the limit. Yeah. And just, yeah. And even like, we kind of expanded across the country recently to like out East Mm -hmm. um, in Ontario. And it didn't make me feel any better. the, The thought of like our program being there, I was like, cool. And I think it excites the team, which is great. And that's why I'm excited that the team is there. But yeah, for me, I was like, I'm ready to start something else or do something. And the money that the business pays me can afford, you know, a new house that I bought uh, with my girlfriend. And like, I'm, I feel like I'm kind of set in that sense. So that's, that's where I'm starting to see the limit there. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's interesting that you said the word should a lot, because I think that's how a lot of us kind of blindly are loyal and committed to anything, whether that's a relationship or a job or a purpose that we've, like you said, self-described. And you've made it for yourself that this is what I should do because this is going to represent me and this is what I'm responsible for. And nobody wants to be doing things out of obligation, right? Because there's not as much emotion behind it. So when did you take a minute to be like, what actually makes me happy and what does make you happy? Hmm. Well, yeah, definitely, definitely talking to the consultant and like him painting that picture of my next 10 years. I was like, okay, I got to restart here. Like, <laughs> There's a lot of should happening here. So that was the start of it. And uh, yeah, since then, I've been doing a lot of journaling, a lot of meditation and self-reflection. I don't know what makes me happy yet. I think happiness is a, a whole other topic. I, I don't know if I love that word. It's just, just like having a sadness. They're just kind of emotions that come through daily or whatever. But I thought I tried to think a bit more of, of what excited me excitement gets you up in the morning. I don't know if happiness gets you up in the morning. Okay. So what, what uh, excites me is uh, kind of coaching and mentoring. So I've started to get into that realm. I, I do like passing on what I've learned to the next generation, which is kind of the basis of my first business, but it's, it's through so many people now, like through the team, through our coaches, through like finally to the end consumer where it's like, I feel out of touch with that. So I like kind of the one-on-one coaching. Um, I like mentoring young adults, like 16 to 22 year olds like they're kind of getting into this weird world that I found myself in and I want to help you know make it a bit clearer you know honestly eliminate some shoulds from their lives like they're they're all growing up like I should do this I should do that and I'm just I'd love to help more people just have a mirror and be like is this you know this is what you're saying are you sure this is what you want and we had a session yesterday with my new startup and we did this exercise called hidden commitments from a book called immunity to change but yeah, she was just like going through the exercise. She's like, holy shit, I have all these beliefs that I didn't even know. And so I feel like for a 20, 19 year old, you know, that's, that's some like really big stuff that could really fuck you up, you know, when you're 40, if if you're not aware of it. So that, that stuff really gets me going and like really excites me and motivates me. 
is that something along a lot of your friends that are really curious about this or have you been kind of just an outsider in your desire to understand more about these hidden commitments and things about yourself? Yeah, I, I think I've, I've been really lucky. I, I was definitely out of high school, stuck with my high school friends. My graduating class had 30 kids. So it was a really small school and 30 kids was the biggest graduating class the school's ever had. So we were like, we were like huge. So out of high school, like I was definitely stuck to those few friends that I'd grown up with since kindergarten because my school was K to 12. And it took a long time for me to realize they weren't the friends. Not A lot of them weren't the friends that I needed to hang out with. And so since then, I've started to find my tribe or find my community that thinks more like-minded or where I wanted to go. And they've definitely been good examples of, yeah, get more curious about the self, get more curious about beliefs that you have and, and do these, you know, self-journaling inner child exercises, you know? And so, th- yeah, that's, that's definitely helped me. And I'm taking all that knowledge and, and trying to package it into this new program, kind of like adult life skills for kids and giving it to the next generation. Uh, it's kind of the plan. So what are some adult life lessons that you wish you knew about when you were kind of uh-huh. teenage years? Yeah. Goal setting and reflection, doing it in a, in a systematic way. Um, we did it a bit in our school. But, and I think every school, you know, they're like smart goals, specific, manageable, and that's a good start. But having a mentor and accountability group, like holding you to that every week and like really diving into like, why didn't I do that thing? Why am I telling myself to wake up at 5 a.m. and then I hate myself for doing it or I beat myself up when I can't do it? You know, like I, I find the problem with mentorship is that they're like 60 years old and they've like, they're, they've worked in a bank for 40 years and they're giving advice to like 20 year olds. And mm-hmm. so, you know, me being 25, I think they give, is a, a very interesting type of mentorship where like I'm just a couple years ahead of them kind of like 20 year olds and so I can like relate a lot more so yeah goal setting and, and reflection we're, we're gonna heavily focus on like financial literacy I think is really important just like investing early and helping these young adults get a good start on that and then the plan is also to just make it really fun like we want to have a cooking module we want to have a outdoor literacy module like going hiking like how to pack for something and that stuff I was pretty privilege to know how to do just from my school but I know a lot of kids they don't know how to do it and that's like you know a huge part of life so the the basics of the the program are going to be goal setting habit forming and that's kind of their base and then they can build on financial literacy how to cook how to work out on top of that Mm, I like that the focus is on basic life skills you know and it's interesting how the school system isn't really based on that. Like we don't learn financial literacy. We just learn basic math or calculus or things that like we're not actually going to use in real life. And then things like hiking, you know, what to pack. I don't think anyone's ever taught you that, you know, unless you go to a specific course for that. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah. I I think the, the, the unsaid slogan yet, I haven't talked to too many parents about this, but like all parents are like, Oh, I wish that I wish I learned that when I was 20 and like, yes, you can learn that with the program <laughs> when you're 20. So um, all the things that they wish they learned earlier, hopefully they want to invest that into their kids, which is the plan. Mm-hmm. So how has your experience been like meeting other entrepreneurs? Because I'm assuming that not a lot are your age. So I would see like most of most entrepreneurs being in their mid thirties to early forties. Yeah. How were you They're, able to kind of connect with them? I don't know. I'm, I don't I'm know just how guessing, old are you? <laughs> I am early thirties. So okay. yeah, I started my business when I was 26, 27. But so the way that I started my business was I just hated where I was working, right? Yeah. And I just, for me, it was the only way out 
of not working for other people anymore. So I guess you might have had the same sense when you were in business school and you were like, oh, I don't want to do any of these things. And this is only the school version, like the real world version is going to really suck. So you just kind of cut it off really quick. So how did you know that? Because I went in kind of like desperation mode. And I wouldn't say that that's the healthiest moving forward. Like like you said, if you had that unwavering belief that, you know, this is going to work, mine was more like, this is my ticket out. And yeah. then from there, then I could start. And it was just yeah. like this long convoluted process of, you know, and then, and then, and then, and then I can be happy and successful, but I still have to go through all these hoops. Got it. Yeah. Well, I mean, to answer your original question, I haven't met too many entrepreneurs, to be honest. There's one my age, he's doing great. I kind of like played soccer with him. But most people, yeah, they're they're like later 20s to, to early 30s. And I'm, I've been described by many people, including my girlfriend, as an old soul. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of used to it. I, I kind of fit in more with older people. I can like have better conversations. Like um, I, I did join a men's group recently and they're mostly 30 to 50 even. And I, I find myself much more comfortable than like, I'd be like very anxious in a group of like 24 year olds. Like I don't know how to drink beer and I'm bad at shotgunning. And like, I, you know, I'm not very good at talking about sports. And so I just, yeah, like that, that stuff's way more tiring on me than, uh, you know, hanging out with older people. So yeah, I don't mind that at all. Yeah. I haven't met too many entrepreneurs. I'd love to, I think COVID's been a bit challenging for that. Just, I guess I could have joined more zoom meetup groups with entrepreneurs, but yeah, I, I want to definitely do that more as I uh, get older. So that's interesting. You didn't really join into like entrepreneur groups, but you joined into men's groups. So what was your impetus to join a men's group? A few of my friends had done it. And I, I met a, actually, I, I don't really know. It was so long ago now. It was like in July. So I'd have to, I don't know the exact trigger. Um, I think I just knew I was ready for something to challenge me more, like inner, inner work. And I didn't know what was in store, but I knew like when I was talking to the, the captain of the group who interviews me to start just to see if I'm a good fit, he's like, well, you know, this is a great group for you to talk about things that you're not allowed, allowed to talk about with your sports teams, you know, or you're not allowed to talk about with your high school friends. You know, it's really hard to talk about everything from money stress to breakups to just fights, you know, fights with your relationship or just that you're feeling bad this week. Like it's really hard to talk about that at the bar. And so I was looking for a group and community of guys to just talk to weekly about that stuff. And yeah, I think it's really paid off in ways that maybe I, I, I don't even know until I'm, you know, I can look back from 20 years or something. Mm. I think that's interesting that you said money, stress and relationships, but you're talking to, I guess these people were strangers, right? At, at the beginning. So yeah. yeah. So how did that relationship unfold and how did um, how did you become vulnerable and, and open up to to these group of strangers? Because wouldn't it naturally be easier for you to speak to your friends about money and relationship issues because they would know you a bit better? Yeah, I feel like you're throwing me a lob here. Um, I mean, it's <laughs> it's, it's uh, not so different than your podcast right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the whole power of uh, anonymous people that you don't really know. Um, is you can kind of say anything to them, you know, and you're like, just like when you're traveling, you know, you meet them once and you say whatever you want or do some things you wouldn't normally do. And then you, you go home and you don't have to see them. So similar to this, it's a little different because I'm going to have to see them week over week. So you can't just piss them off or anything, but yeah, they, the whole power of it is like the, the men are supposed to create space for you, for you to say what you need to say. And they just listen and nod and give you feedback if you want it or if you're open to it. 
but I, I don't know. I've always been okay being vulnerable to strangers. I remember randomly, I was like walking around the park one day and there was this like kind of woo woo spiritual group happening. And I was a little bit baked and I just kind of walked in, sat down with them there, which they were fine with. And then they said, who wants to get vulnerable with the group? And I just raised my hand randomly. I was like the youngest kid there. I was like maybe 17 or 18 got up in front of them and these guys just started asking me questions and I, I broke down crying in front of this whole group of strangers yeah there's something it's it's almost it's definitely easier I mean it's definitely easier than crying in front of your friends or talking about yeah daddy or mommy issues with your friends they're like oh god I gotta see this guy again later so yeah something about this the power of uh being anonymous and and uh being able to say what you want to say is is cool but like with this men's group, you you do have the accountability of needing to see them again. So like you did start off with the stranger aspect, but with the knowledge that you're going to be creating a relationship with all of these these men and you've, you know, made that commitment that you will be leading with vulnerability. So why would that be any different to friends if, you know, ideally you'd want to lead with vulnerability too and then, you know, see these people again regularly? It's just you don't only talk to them about vulnerability. You get to talk to them about all, all parts of life and hang out with them as well. So where, where do you think that that kind of breaks off? Because there is a huge separation of notice between like regular friends and friendships and relationships that you have. And you talk to certain people about certain things. And then you have this like special men's group and you can all be vulnerable there. But then how do you get out of that into the real world and extend that type of relationship? Yeah, it's a good question. I think a lot of it is context and environment for sure. Like when you're in the men's group, this is like when you're supposed to be vulnerable and you're right. Like eventually the point is to have enough courage and strength to, to show that vulnerability wherever you go. But even part of the code and some of it is like not being too open to others. Like you're not supposed to just like blab about like your, your breakup to like random strangers all the time. Right. Like there's, there's kind of places for you to do it in a healthy mm. way because some okay. people, aren't ready to accept that either. So I think that's part of it. Like when you go into the men's group, you know that everyone's there for the same reasons and everyone's going to listen to you and everyone's like ready to accept that stuff. And I think it can be very discouraging if you start to like be vulnerable with someone, but they're just not personally ready. And then they reject that. And then you're like, oh God, like, oh, I'm like weird. Like I shouldn't have said that. And then it, it kind of makes it worse. So yeah, I'd say just the power of the environment. And also it this isn't a healthy thing but I wanted to like impress the group I wanted to be like oh I can be vulnerable and I can like you know share deep stuff right away so that was a bit of it a bit of ego for sure in there so yeah I'd say that's kind of the difference between that and doing like random friends fantasy football night you're like oh yeah money stress is really holding me down you know I'm feeling really depressed these days you know <laughs> how, be a how, how do you impress people with vulnerability like oh, it wasn't sick. that the weakness so how did what did it how was what was your strategy in impressing people with vulnerability i know it's it's the weirdest humans are weird well i after the first couple of meetings we we just do short shares um you can choose to do a short short share or long share short share i mean you can share anything but it's mostly like week was good went for a hike you know life's good longer shares times when you're like okay i'm ready to share something a little deeper the first couple of meetings I was in, I just kind of did short shares, just kind of getting to know the group. And then, you know, everyone was putting some pretty heavy stuff. People, like these grown men were crying in front of me. And I was like, oh, yeah, I had a great day. It was like really sunny out. <laughs> and so I called the captain. I was like, I don't know if I'm doing this right. Like, I don't 
I'm not really seeing the benefits. And he's like, you know, from my eyes, you're, you're doing it perfectly fine, but it looks like you're lifting five pounds at the gym and to do an emotional workout, you know, you gotta lift, you gotta lift heavy. You gotta, you gotta share something that, you know, is going to scare you a little bit. So that next meeting I went full in and shared something that I hadn't shared with anyone except for my girlfriend ever. I've, I've, I'd been holding on to something for like 13 years that I'd never told anyone. So yeah, I shared that with the men's group and yeah, it was liberating and I cried a lot and it was great. So that was how I impressed them. (laughs) So impressive. That's interesting with the emotional weights. Are you, would you be comfortable sharing that first story? Have you said it enough times? Yeah. Yeah, That's all good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was 11 or 12 and I was a nosy little kid. Um, (laughs) And also my, my dad wasn't very good at hiding it, but I just saw a lot of like dating sites and a lot of like emails between people that weren't my mom. Yeah. And I, and I was a little kid, so I didn't know how to tell him. I didn't want him to beat me up or, you know, I didn't want to make my parents divorce. Like, you know, so I, I never shared anything, but there was some pretty vulgar stuff in there. Stuff that 11 year old boys shouldn't really see between, yeah, you know, your father and some random woman. So yeah, I'd, I'd held on to that for a long time and never told him, never told anyone and just tried to get over it. And I told myself, you know, when I'm 19 and I'm strong, like, then I'll tell him. And I never did. And, you know, so yeah, I, I told my men's group and then they're like, well, you, you know, when are you going to tell him? Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, for the first, for some time in 13 years, that next week I took my dad on a walk and told him what I had seen and stuff. And that was hard in itself. I thought it would be like, Oh, you're right, son. And like, I'm so sorry. And it was definitely not that it was, uh, he lawyered up, let's say. So that was still tough. And I haven't talked to him since about it. So yeah, probably some, some shadows to still unearth, but I haven't found the courage yet to um, have a conversation again. Mm. Which, which battle was harder for you? The releasing of something that you've been holding on to this whole time or the confrontation of speaking to the person like your father about the actual subject or incident? Yeah, I, I think definitely bringing it up with my dad, like it was, if I had a, you know, safe group, which I did, you know, right mm-hmm. when I had a safe group, you know, three weeks in, I was, I was happy enough to share it. And it was, it was very powerful. Um, I will say it was, it was interesting. Like when that happened, all of a sudden, a lot of good things started happening in like my business and other parts of my life. So it was like kind of a weird energetic thing there, if you believe in that. Um, but yeah, it was way harder to muster up the courage to, to have that conversation and um, obviously it's still hard to, to follow up with that conversation. Cause since then we haven't talked about it since, you know, a, a little bit of me was like hoping he would start that conversation. But uh, after talking to a few therapists, they're like, I don't, you know, what happens if he doesn't, you know, it's on you to bring it back up. I was like, ah, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I gotta uh, think about that a bit more. Do you want to bring the conversation up again? Like, did you not get um, the response you wanted? Like what, what is missing there that makes you want to continue the conversation? Or is it more just like the feeling of the relationship you guys have? Yeah, I think I, I miss, I was missing the acknowledgement from him because it was a lot of like, you know, denial or like, you know, none of your business type of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was, I was missing a bit of the acknowledgement. I do have to consider the fact that it will never come and have to be okay with that. I do think I also 
a lot of the advice I was given going into that conversation was like, just be chill about it. You know, like it happened 13 years ago. It, you know, you don't know what you actually saw. So just go into it chill, right? So I had the conversation. I thought I was pretty stoic. You know, I didn't very get angry or sad. I didn't really show any emotion. I was like, hey, this is what I saw. Like, what do you think? But I am very angry and I'm, and and was. And, you know, my little child in there somewhere is still very sad and confused. So maybe the next conversation I'd, I would uh, show more emotion because maybe he didn't understand because I was too stoic about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like if you're really stoic about a vulnerable subject and especially if you're kind of giving them the reins to apologize or, you know, be accountable for themselves and no one's going to do that automatically and you're going there with that stoicism, it's like, okay, so this person's clearly judging me because this person isn't like feeling a certain way. Like it would be so different if I came to you in tears and I was like, oh my God, you made me feel this way. Let's talk about it. Versus, hey, you did this thing. Let's talk about it. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. shit, am I in trouble or not in trouble? Or like, where? Because there's there's nothing to to base it on. And I don't know what your relationship is to it, right? And so I think that that turns into a purely judgmental thing. And it's so e- easy for your ego to to build up from that, right? Yeah. And I do think, you know, there's the practical side of it, of this thing that maybe he hasn't thought of for 13 years. I've been obviously thinking about it forever. And I'm like, hey, this... I, you know, I was 12 and you did this and like, you know, kind of came out of the blue. So I, I can understand that, but I, I'm excited to move out and I think create that space a little bit. Just like, I think environment plays a huge part in our, you know, mental patterns. So I think getting out of that and giving a bit more space. And then I think it would be a lot easier to have that conversation and then like go back to our separate places. Right. Cause after our conversation, I just had to go back into the house that I've lived in for 25 years and he's there, you know, the same thing every day, got to see him in the, in the kitchen. So that made it a little more difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That would be a little bit more uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. I want to wrap up with a couple of questions for you. The first one is what moment in time I mean, you might have a lot of them, but what moment in time uh, did you have a learning about yourself that really shattered the floor beneath you? That was just like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, like your mind was just blown. I I wish I had a clearer picture of when this happened, but I definitely know what happened. I think I was like in the park or something. And I was like, I was, I thought, you know, some person was giving me a weird look and there I was like, oh God, they maybe think my hair is weird or like I look ugly or something. And then I had this realization of like, oh, those are my thoughts that that's not their thoughts. I don't know if that's actually true. And then I, and then I was like, oh, the thoughts that I'm having, these aren't even, they're not actually me. They're not, they're just like, they're almost separate. And then that put me down a big rabbit hole of like mindfulness, meditation, being aware of thoughts, how they're separate from the, from what I actually am. Um, I haven't really decided what I am yet, but, you know, being aware of these thoughts is very powerful and separating myself. And that was the first moment of like, holy shit, like there's more than meets the eye in this little, you know, life that we have here. And yeah. And then like, as you said, the floor kind of beneath me goes away and then you dive into a psychedelic and you dive into silent retreats, which I've done and, and stuff. So yeah, that, that definitely opened my eyes of like, wow, like thoughts aren't me which was pretty cool and liberating. So that just happened randomly for you? Like yep. you were just in the park and you just saw that? That's yeah. crazy. You know, the the quote, I don't know who who said it, but it says, um, 
you are not your thoughts. And when I first heard that, I thought it was just like, you are not your thoughts in terms of the negative ideas that you put in your head. And you have the control to just change those thoughts. But again, that's still all in the thinking space. And then what you experience is clearly something that's outside of the thinking space because you saw yourself thinking. So there was like a witness of the thinking, right? And then now you're like, holy shit, like who's that? You know, that's watching the thinking. Who's aware of the awareness of the thoughts and it just keeps going down. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's crazy. And you just had that happen so randomly. Like I, I needed that to be kind of told to me in multiple languages for me to finally be like, Oh, okay, I get it. Because yeah, I didn't really like multiple languages. I, that's an interesting. In terms of like more, it could be practical. It could be feeling. It could be like someone oh, in a lecture. It could be a book. Like so, just mul- yeah, maybe multiple formats is better of a, of a word. Something but, in Chinese um... just clicked for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I just considered formats as languages, but uh, yeah, yeah, I got you. So, where is your take on that? Um, you know, what have you been trying to? understand more about yourself or the conscious self or you know what has been really piquing your curiosity Mm -hmm. these days yeah and I I think it's it's interesting timing for me too because I'm I I'm feeling like once like the past five years has definitely been some of that stuff but a lot of the business stuff and as I said the orange circle the orange spiral is a lot about business and success and getting those things but then you reach a certain point and it's like oh there's more and the, the next steps is more around, yeah, understanding the self more. So I don't know where I am in that place. I know that there is something that I can't understand and I won't be able to logically understand. I am pretty interested in, you know, maybe an, a 5M DMT trip or whatever. Um, I, I've done a couple heroic doses of shrooms, so like five grams and just like meditated and experienced nothingness or oneness in God once, um, I think. So I know there's something there, but yeah, I think, yeah, the next steps are just meditating more and, and doing more inner child exercises and shadow, shadow work and, and just, yeah, trying to start to unravel my my patterns that are still unconscious. There's a pretty good saying, it's like, until the unconscious becomes conscious, it will rule your life, but you will call it fate. I think that's Carl Jung. So yeah, trying to make more of these processes in my head or my, my life that are unconscious and then just, you know, wake up, brush teeth, you know, do go through all the things, the same mind patterns over and over again and try and make that more conscious. So try and slow down. And, and I do have that opportunity now because I don't have to focus so much of my life on it, succeeding in business. Yeah. I think that's a very serendipitous moment for you to, to start looking into the self and having the time. And I think the universe obviously gave you that space to do so. I mean, I'm in the same boat too. So my last question to you is out of everything that we talked about, are there any subjects or types of people that you would like to invite another man on the show to elaborate on further? Yeah. I'd love to hear more people that are spiritually uh, awake, conscious than me, I think. I'm just talking about those experiences and what they were doing when they were 25, maybe that, that helped them to that next journey. Um, Cause yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I can just meditate for eight hours a day. Like, I don't know if that's the path for me or if that's the right thing to do, or if, if I just keep journaling, like I'm going to find the answer. Cause I don't know if there is the answer. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious kind of like what the next steps are for a practical 
spiritual life. You know, I don't want to go to a cave in the Himalayas. Um, I do enjoy the, the fun, you know, pleasures of life, um, but I do want to go on that journey. Maybe, maybe I can't, maybe I have to go to the caves. I don't know, um, but I want to hear it from other people. Hmm. So you think that there is an either or aspect as in like, oh, I got to be a monk somewhere versus like, I, I live in the real life. Like there's no way to combine the two. Um, no, I don't, I don't think that I, I do, but I do think that with the way I live my life right now, I, I am not on the path of, of awakening. Like I think if I go through my life as I am now with the meditation that I do and the habits that I have, that's not going to get me there. Um, but I'm, but I'm curious. Yeah. I don't think there's an either or, but I do think there is a more, I, I do need to become a bit, change some habits, become more monk-like, I would say. At least that's my current mindset. Okay. So you don't think you're doing enough in the sense of like the meditations and the journaling? Cause like that's, that's a lot of time you're already spending. And why do you think you need like eight plus hours, like make it a full-time yeah. job? <laughs> sure. I mean, I just think there's a lot to uncover. And so I think it is somewhat of a, a part-time job at least. And I, I don't, I think at least for now, the way that stuff works in my life, like maybe I over-exaggerate. I don't do that much work, you know, like I meditate for 30 <laughs> minutes a day. Sometimes I'll do some journaling. I don't have like a solid habit yet of that. Mm. Yeah. And I think there's just a lot of shit in all of us that we're unconscious of. So it, yeah, it takes a long time. So I, I'm patient. I don't want it. I don't think or need it to happen in the next year or five years or 10 years, but I don't know if 30 minutes a day will do anything more than just like keep you even. Right. I think 30 minutes a day is like a healthy habit. I don't know if that's like a spiritual awakening. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay. So you're saying one is more like a maintenance check yeah. of like, Hey, let's just check my mental space, you know, clear my mind. That's like light exercise for the mind versus, yeah. you know, emotional workout, a true workout. deadlift. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. I mean, I think that's always a gauge for yourself in terms of what's a workout and what's not right. Yeah. What, um, what is your definition of a spiritual awakening? Like what, what do you want to what do you want to happen to you? Oh, I know. I know. I don't, I don't know. I think that's, you know, part of the problem, right? You, you yeah. have these expectations and they get in the way. So I, I'm trying to, I don't want to put that on myself too much. You know, when I ask the question in meditation, or if I think right now, like, what am I? What, what is this? I don't know. You know, and if, if you, uh, if you think about duality and you want to like go into this non-dual, like everything's one state, like I can, I can like, understand that logically both from a scientific perspective of like okay we're all like kind of atoms or whatever and like so everything is literally one but yeah you can read that in the book and then you can experience it and I would like to experience that more okay okay interesting <laughs> are you okay with the fact that you don't know what that's going to be like because maybe you're you've had the experience and it is just quietness mm-hmm and it's just kind of underwhelming. Like, like there's other people that have these crazy stories, but that's their version of it. Maybe yours is just total peace. And you're like, is that all? Like, where's the big drum roll? You know, I don't know yeah. uh, what your no, expectation I'm, is, but are you just, is it the unknown part? That's like, you don't know what that awakening is and you're still searching for the certainty of it? Yeah. I mean, I think I have, again, like maybe experienced this once and I, and I, I do know luckily enough that it's not like this crazy, like 
like now you are god and you can you know fly and stuff like i'm, I, I'm lucky that i know that's not that i um, and i've even you know read stories of like yeah you know monks will reach enlightenment or they'll, they'll feel something and then they go back to being like just back to breath you know like because they they know it's just not a one it's not a one-time thing and it's not like you hit a level and then it's like now you're 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 enlightened and you're you've won so um, I do understand that and I'm not looking for some crazy mind-blowing experience but I yeah I just know I have a lot of inner stuff to deal with and yeah I just know there's more out there so I guess I'm just yeah still on the search and I'm, I'm okay with that to yeah. answer your question okay cool I mean it's a it's a pretty exciting journey to be on right because it's like beyond the spirituality side of the consciousness right there's the the traumas there's you know the socioeconomical aspects you know there's life issues right relationships that you can't only do with the self right that you kind of need the interaction of others so i think that's the fun balance between mm-hmm. people environment and the self yes we're all in the stream together for sure <laughs> <laughs> all right cool well thank you so much for this uh this chat it's been it's been really fun getting to know you and your and your mind a little bit more so yeah appreciate the time I absolutely love talking about consciousness and understanding the self. So guys, if this is a topic you enjoyed to chat about, you know what to do. Send me a message at Miss Amanda Chen on Instagram. Make sure to subscribe to the show and I'll see you next Wednesday with more episodes of the 100 Masked Men.